Please join me now in Exodus 15. Exodus 15, as we begin a brand new sermon series, we're calling God is Great. And this is going to be a bit of a different sermon series for us. I'm not going to begin with the book of the Bible and go all the way through it as we typically do. We'll get back to that soon enough. But this one is one where we're going to talk about different attributes of God each week. And I'll still be preaching an expository message. I'm going to take a passage of Scripture each week. We're going to teach that passage, but highlight a a wonderful attribute of God at the same time. And I have us here now as we start this series in Exodus 15. And it's the occasion where God has led his people out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea. And we're going to learn some wonderful, rich theology as we hear Moses and the people sing a song of celebration to God because of the victory he gave them. Now, maybe you remember the context of Exodus. The people of God have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And God then called Moses to be a deliverer in the power of God to lead the people out of that bondage. And you remember that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, he was not wanting to let his slaves go. And so he opposed it. And God gave a series of 10 dramatic plagues increasing in severity to where finally Pharaoh let the people go. Maybe you also know that Pharaoh changed his mind as he frequently did. And he then began to pursue the children of God as they were leaving. And and so there's this impossible situation that shapes up where the people of God have come to the edge of the Red Sea. There's nowhere for them to go to escape. And the armies of Pharaoh are pursuing, and they're, they're pinned in, and it looks impossible. It's absolutely terrifying. And this is what Moses said in Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you, whom you see today, you will never see them again forever. And there is now the most dramatic miracle that we can imagine. It's one of the most famous miracles in the, in the Bible where God parted the Red Sea, two walls of water on either side. God dried the land so that the people walked through on dry land. And at the same time, as the Israelites came out on the other side, he then judged the armies of Pharaoh and destroyed them in the Red Sea as he collapsed those walls of water on them. So a stunning miracle. The people of God saved and the enemies of God were judged. And at the end of Exodus 14, we hear the response of the people as they go from fear to faith to rejoicing. This is how it's recorded in Exodus 14:30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So here they are on the other side, safely, of the other side of the Red Sea in their newfound freedom. And we see them erupting in praise that we're going to read now in chapter 15. Far more than erupting in praise with mere emotion. They're not just whooping it up. But what we're going to see is a song that Moses taught them that was rich in theology. We're going to see them singing what we could call joyful theology, a theological celebration in song. And it begins right here, Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my 
God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will extol him. So the first thing I want us to notice together is this, that God is great. Notice the wording here. He is highly exalted. The English Standard Version translates this wording from the Hebrew this way. He has triumphed gloriously. Another scholar gives the literal translation, and it means this. He is gloriously glorious. The essential meaning is God is greater than all. He just defeated Pharaoh and his great army. Now, we might hear that and we think back, well, that was a primitive army. Is that really that big of a deal for him to defeat that army? And, of course, we remember there's the Red Sea miracle in that as well. But, but to defeat the Egyptians, is that big of a deal? Well, it was a big deal in its time. But, but even the Bible tells us that God could defeat any army or any collection of armies. In fact, we're told in the book of Revelation in chapter 16 and 17, there's coming a great day when the Antichrist and the armies of the earth will surround the people of God and it is at the Battle of Armageddon. And we hear Armageddon, it sounds so ominous, but really on that day, it won't be much of a battle as our Lord will once again triumph over any modern army, which that will be because that's still to come. Listen to Revelation 17, 14. Here again, the power of our God. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Our God is the lone superpower in all of his universe. There is no rival for him. He is glorious in power. Let's note it, our God is great. But our text also tells us not only is he great, but secondly, our God is personal. He's personal. Notice verse two, the Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. Don't you love how personal that is? Here's a congregation singing, but they're being led to sing in the first person. They're in unison singing together about their personal relationship with God. Notice the wording again. He's my strength my song, he's my salvation, he's my God, my father's God. And then even that statement, I will extol him. And that's just another way of saying, I'm going to praise him. So you and I are reminded that we are to relate to God personally. Yes, he's our God together. And that's why it's so wonderful that we're getting together in person today. But he's, he can only be our God together if he's our God individually. We have this individual relationship with Jesus, but we, we have enhanced joy as we get together and celebrate that together. So he's our God, but he has to be also our God. And so this great, highly exalted God of unrivaled power, we can say of it this way, that great God is my strength. He's my salvation. So you don't want to be a passive worshiper of a God that you don't know. You don't merely want to be in a room with people. Well, they know him, but I don't know him. You need to be able to sing along. Oh, he's my God. He is my salvation. I will praise him. He's personal. He can be known. And so I pray that today, if you don't already know him, you too will turn from your sin, acknowledge it, and come to Jesus for forgiveness. Be entering into a personal relationship with God. In fact, it's wonderful here to be able to say this, that he is my father's God. What a great gift a parent can give to a child when, when you give to your child greater than any inheritance, I'm going to give you the knowledge of my God. I want you to know of my Savior, how you can be reconciled to him. That is great. 
but you don't want it to merely stay there that, that I worship my father's God. Oh, you want your father's God, if they know the true and living God, to be your God as you personally turn and trust in Jesus Christ. And so our God is great. Our God is personal. But then I want you to see this. Our God has a name. Did you know that God has a personal name? Exodus 15 now, verses 3 through 6. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The, cover, the deep covers them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. First notice this, that they proclaim together in song that the Lord is a warrior. I find that quite a statement, and I find that quite comforting to know that God fights for his people. How dramatically he just demonstrated that at the Red Sea, how he fought for them, how, how overwhelmingly he supported them. It would not be reassuring if our God in the Bible were described as weak or soft or even indifferent or uninvolved. But no, God is a warrior. But then notice the second thing it says here that in the next line, the Lord is his name. Now, in most English translations, that word Lord is put in all capital letters, L-O-R-D in all caps. And that is to signify that in the Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament, that the proper name for God is there. But the translators typically bring it over in those all caps to let you know what's, what's beneath that in the Hebrew. But did you know that God the Father has a name? We rightly call him Lord. We rightly call him God or Savior or Father. But beginning in Exodus, God begins to reveal his proper name. That name that comes over, it's, it's four Hebrew letters that we best know to, uh, to pronounce as Yahweh. So in verse 3, if you were to render it literally into English, it would be this. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name name. And so that name, Yahweh, it, it begins to be used by God revealing himself to the people in Exodus chapter 3. It's at the burning bush that Moses hears God uh, tell him his name. You remember that occasion when Moses gets that call that he did not want to be a deliverer for the Israelites? He had two questions for God. First of all, a question you and I would ask too, who am I? Like, I'm, I'm not up for that. I'm not competent. I'm not adequate for such an assignment. He, who am I, God? But then he asked this question, who do I tell them you are? If they ask me what your name is, when I say God is delivering you, if they ask, what is your name, Lord, what do I tell them? And so here's the interchange. This is Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So that name, Yahweh, God's proper name, is derived from the Hebrew verb to be. Now here's how the New American Standard Bible translators describe their process of using all caps Lord to render the proper name of God. And, and all the other major translations do the same thing. But they say it this way. In the scriptures, the name of God is most significant and understandably so. It is inconceivable to think of spiritual matters without a proper designation of the supreme deity. Thus, the most common name for the deity is God, a translation of the original Elohim. 
One of the titles for God is Lord, a translation of Adonai. There is yet another name which is particularly assigned to God as his special or proper name. That is the four letters that we would render in English, Y-H-W-H. This name has not been pronounced by the Jews because of reverence for the great sacredness of the divine name. Therefore, it has been consistently translated Lord. So did you hear that? So the Jewish people have had a, a tradition for a long time out of their great reverence for this name that, that we're pronouncing Yahweh. They didn't even want to utter it. They had such a, a, an awe for that name. They didn't want to in any way accidentally misuse the holy name of God that represents God himself. They wouldn't even utter it. So it would be in their Hebrew Bibles, but they would themselves use these alternate titles for God, Lord or God, rather than that Yahweh. So, so you and I would say we, we love that respect. In fact, you and I should carry that same respect. I think it's okay to utter the name, but I like that idea that we dare not misuse the name of God. Likewise, we shouldn't misuse the titles for God. We, we shouldn't misuse the name God or Lord. We don't do that because we have this great reverence for God. Now, in the New Testament, we're, we're taught that our normal way of addressing God is indeed Father or Lord or God. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. But, but we know when we're praying to God or the Lord, our Father, we know we're talking about the one who's revealed himself hundreds of times in the Hebrew text. He is Yahweh. He is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Moses, the one who did deliver the people from the Red Sea. So it's important for us to know that God has a proper name because this reminds us that God is unique, that God is distinct from all others that people might call gods. Sometimes if we use that general term only, uh, we might fail to differentiate this God. He has a name and he's different from all the others. You and I have noticed that many people feel quite comfortable saying, well, my God is like this, and your God is like this, or, or all gods are essentially the same. And, and when you see in the text over and over again that, that God has a name, and he's not the God of the Babylonians, and he's not the God of the Canaanites, he is uniquely the God of Israel, he is Yahweh, it helps you realize he is different, he is distinct. So though the Jewish people wouldn't utter this name out of reverence, they would constantly be seeing it in the text of their scriptures from Exodus through the end of the Old Testament. And so the point here is Yahweh is distinct and he is great. Our God is great far above any other. And that brings us to a final section here, Exodus 15, 11 through 13. And let's just take now a peek at some of his attributes. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the weeks to follow taking on one by one. But, but notice a cluster of them even here. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, or Oh, Yahweh, who's like you? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? And I look forward to us talking about the holiness of God in the weeks to come. Awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them in your loving kindness. I look forward to us talking about the loving kindness of God in the weeks to come. In your loving kindness, you've led the people whom you have redeemed in your strength. You have guided them to your holy habitation. Here's the question asked in our text, who's like him? And the answer is, there is nobody like this God. These are the attributes of God. These are the attributes of Yahweh we're going to be talking about. These don't apply to others that are so-called gods in the world. Think about just with me. 
so, so having lived in India and having traveled extensively in India, a lot of interaction with, with Hindus, and we love Hindu people. When, when our Hindu friends talk about their gods, and they have 330 million gods, they'll talk about different gods. And, and one of them would be Hanuman. He's a, a monkey god, you may have seen, a god of courage. And when you hold up that deity of Hinduism with Yahweh, the god of the Bible, these are not at all alike. So when we talk about the attributes of God, we're talking about the attributes of this god and this god alone, or if we were to talk about any of the other gods of Hinduism, Kali, Durga, Shiva, Ganesh, the elephant head, uh, little boy god, a, a god of intelligence, we'd say, hold that god up to Yahweh, not at all alike. And so to know that God is distinct from all others, he, he is far above all others, is very important for us to know. How about even different aberrations of the Christian God? So when our Mormon neighbors talk about God, they're not talking about the same God. The God that Joseph Smith talked about is not Yahweh, because our Mormon neighbors will talk about a God, meaning the Father, who was once a human being, that he has flesh and bone like us, that he was once a man somewhere else, and with his wives, he's populated this earth. That's not Yahweh. That's not the God here that we're talking about. So who is like this God? Who's like him? A God of great power, a God of pure holiness, a God amazing in his loving kindness, a God who even redeems and saves. And then this, Exodus 15, 20 and 21, Miriam leads the people to sing. It says, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and his riders he has hurled into the sea. There it is again. Yes, God is highly exalted. He is gloriously glorious. And so let's apply this to ourselves. Is God highly exalted in your life? Could you say that? Oh, I know him, and I've experienced him to be gloriously glorious. He is above everything else in my life. He's greater than anything in the world. Could you speak that way about God? Do you know God like that? Do you know him personally like that? Does your knowledge of God lead you to this type of joy and celebration? Does your knowledge of God cause you to want to sing? to even like Miriam and the ladies, to make you even want to dance. This God, I know him, and he's better than anything else in my life. He's the great treasure of my life. Listen, this God is great, and he is good, and he is a God who saves. And we just looked at it so dramatically there. God saving his people from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh, from the sea. That same God wants to save you. That's why he sent his son that he might rescue you from your sin, something worse than Pharaoh's army, something worse than the Red Sea, saving you from sin and judgment. This is a God. He is full of loving kindness. And so Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross, and he was raised triumphantly over sin and death that you and I might turn and believe in him. The scripture says if you believe in him, you'll not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. You can know this God as your Savior if you'll repent of sin and trust in Jesus. And then knowing him, don't you want to walk with him? And I'm looking forward to us together as a church family walking through the greatness of God, celebrating who he is and this grand theology we see in his word. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the riches of your word that you inspired and preserved for us that we might know you and know you personally and know you well. I pray for friends who are watching this message, God, that they will respond to you.
to not just be content to know about you and these wonderful attributes, but God, to take your invitation to come in and be cleansed through your son and to enter in to be one of your children and to know you forever. Lord, save many as they hear and respond to your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.